Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode one of To Build a Church, Joseph Smith and the Founding of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, this is a four-episode miniseries that spans some of the critical years for the church, beginning in 1820 and continuing to 1900. Uh, before we get into the series, I'd just like to take a second and, and introduce myself and why I made this podcast. Uh, so a little background on me. My name is Brendan Morris. I grew up in Mesa, Arizona. I attended Desert Ridge High School and graduated in May 2015. I then enrolled in Utah Valley University for the 2015 fall semester. Uh, I was called to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Russia-Moscow mission. Uh, so yes, I do speak Russian. I always get that question. Uh, I served for two years and returned home. I continued school at Utah Valley until I received my associate's degree, and then I transferred to Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Uh, and that brings us to why I created this miniseries. Uh, so I've been listening to a, a podcast a lot lately, and I like them because they're usually fairly short. They cover a lot of good material, and I can listen while I do other things. Uh, usually I do so while uh, on my morning commute to school, uh, while I'm working out, or anything else really that doesn't require my hearing. Um, I chose this topic, the history of the church, in these four time periods because I realized that despite being baptized into this church at eight years old, there was a lot of stuff I didn't know, and that I figured a lot of other people didn't know as well. So I'm making this uh, series to break up the history of the church and compact it into bite-sized pieces that uh, anyone can listen to at their own convenience. And so now that you know who I am and why I'm putting this show, this show together, uh, let's get into it. I hope you enjoy it. So if you're not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, at this time I would just invite you to visit cometochrist.org. Uh, this will help you get acquainted with the church so that things make more sense as you go along. Uh, in this series, I'll cover four of the major time periods of the church. Uh, this episode is titled The Beginnings and covers 1820 to 1831. This first episode sets the foundation for the entire history of the church, so it will be more detailed and a little longer than the others. I'll be talking about how the church came to be, uh, who Joseph Smith was, uh, what the Book of Mormon is, how it came about, uh, as well as opposition that the early members of the church faced and a lot of other events that are significant to the church's history. So uh, let's go ahead and just dive right into the beginnings. The name Joseph Smith is a name a lot of people have heard at one time or another, uh, sometimes in a positive light and other times in a negative light. It's important to understand who Joseph Smith was because he plays the central role in the church's history. Joseph Smith was a sixth-generation American. His ancestors migrated to the United States in the 1600s. He was born on December 23, 1805 in Sharon, Vermont, to Lucy Mack Smith and Joseph Smith Sr. After suffering uh, a lot of financial hardships and repeated crop failures, uh, Joseph Smith Sr. moved his family from Vermont to Palmyra in New York in the hopes of finding more success uh, in providing for his family. Uh, Joseph himself wasn't really an educated man. He grew up poor. He worked on a farm. Uh, amongst scholars and historians, there seems to be a little bit of dispute on exactly how little education Joseph had, but the general consensus is that he didn't get very much at all. In a special on Joseph Smith, the British Broadcasting Company said, because the family was so poor, Joseph received very little education, learning only basic maths and literacy. And then one of one of, if not the most comprehensive sources of information uh, on Joseph Smith, uh, it's a website called the josephsmithpapers.org, uh, says that because of the, the family's financial situation, Joseph Jr. acquired no more than a few years of schooling during the rare periods when his family could spare him from work. The main point is that Joseph wasn't really a highly educated man. He was a poor, he was a poor farm boy with little education. So 
Uh, that begs the question, how exactly did this poor farm boy uh, with little education found a church that has over 16 million followers throughout the world today? Um, well, our story really starts when Joseph Smith was 14 years old in the year 1820. At this time, Joseph was still in Palmyra in upstate New York. And to describe the time where he lived, Joseph said, There was in the place where we lived an unusual excitement on the subject of religion. It commenced with the Methodists, but soon became general among all the sects in that, in that region of country. Indeed, the whole district of country seemed affected by it, and great multitudes united themselves to the different religious parties, which created no small stir and division amongst the people, some crying a low there, and others low there. Uh, some were contending for the Methodist faith, uh, some for the Presbyterian, and some for the Baptist. And Joseph... Uh, being young and impressionable uh, and seeing all the excitement around him, he became very concerned over the welfare of his soul, uh, especially in the midst of all these different preachers proclaiming different paths to salvation. Part of his family, uh, including his mother, joined the Presbyterian Church. His father uh, abstained from committing to any of the churches. And so you can imagine uh, the you know, poor Joseph's internal conflicts as he saw his parents, the two people that we all look up to when we're children, uh, unable to agree when it came to something as important as worshiping God. Uh, so with all the confusion going on, poor 14-year-old Joseph didn't know exactly what he was supposed to do. His confusion is best put in his own words, and of this he said, In the midst of this war of words and truth and tumult of opinions, I often said to myself, What is to be done? Who of all these parties are right, or are they all wrong together? If any one of them be right, which is it, and how shall I know it? So as Joseph worried over this dilemma, he stumbled uh, on the beginnings of an answer. One day, while reading the Bible, he came across uh, the epistle of James, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, uh, in, in the New Testament. And this verse says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. And so Joseph concluded that he must do exactly what the scripture said, and ask God himself. On a spring day in 1820, Joseph did just that. He went out to a grove of trees near his home, and he knelt down to pray. Of this experience, Joseph said, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son. According to Joseph's account, he saw two personages. One was God the Father, and the other was his son, Jesus Christ. Joseph asked uh, Jesus which church he was to join, and Christ forbade him from joining any of them. And this is what uh, Joseph records his answers being. He said that he was instructed to join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were abomination in his sight. 
that those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. This event is known as Joseph's first vision. And here it's important to note that at the time of this first vision, Joseph Smith was only 14 years old. So as a 14-year-old, if you saw God and Jesus Christ, what would you do? Uh, me personally, I know exactly what I would do. I would tell people. Um, I would tell anyone who would listen. Well, Joseph did just that. And now imagine that as an adult, you're hearing this from a 14-year-old kid. Would you believe them? And if you didn't, how would you react? What happened to Joseph Smith may surprise you. Uh, in the brief history he recorded, after telling people, he said, I soon found out, however, that my telling the story had excited a great deal of prejudice against me among professors of religion, and was the cause of great persecution, which continued to increase. And though I was an obscure boy, only between 14 and 15 years of age, and my circumstances in life such as to make a boy of no consequence in the world, yet men of high standing would take notice sufficient to excite the public mind against me and create a bitter persecution, and this was common among all the sects, all united to persecute me. It caused me serious reflection then, and often has since, how very strange it was that an obscure boy of a little over 14 years of age, and one, too, who was doomed to the necessity of obtaining a scanty maintenance by his daily labor, should be thought a character of sufficient importance to attract the attention of the great ones of the most popular sects of the day, and in a manner to create in them a spirit of the most bitter persecution and reviling. But stranger not, so it was, and it was often the cause of great sorrow to myself." According to the book titled Saints, Volume 1, published under the direction of the church, Joseph spent the next few years working hard, clearing land, turning soil, and doing odd jobs to raise money for his family's annual payment on their farm. Uh, during this time, as Joseph was helping one of his neighbors dig a well, he found a stone. And a lot of people in that area, including Joseph's dad, believe that God sometimes reveals knowledge through objects like rods and stones, um, like he had done in the Old Testament with people like uh, Moses and Aaron. Uh, Joseph realized he had found a stone like this when he saw things that were usually invisible to the natural eye. This is important, and we'll discuss why a little later. For now, the main thing is that Joseph found this stone, and we'll call it a seer stone because he could see hidden things with it, and he was developing the ability to use it. So let's fast forward a bit to September 21st, 1823. At this point, Joseph is 17 and he's a teenager, which naturally meant that Joseph had some maturing to do, uh, just like we all did at that age. Um, in reflecting over the past couple years of being a teenager, Joseph was feeling down for having been guilty of what he calls levity. Uh, now, just real quick, the definition of levity is humor or frivolity, especially the treatment of a serious matter with humor or in a manner lacking due respect. Uh, and Joseph had seen God and Jesus Christ, and he was acting like a typical teenager. Um, and again, like most of us at that age, he had friends that maybe weren't the best, and he had insecurities and wasn't sure if he was living his life the way that he should be. So keep in mind that at this point, Joseph is still being ridiculed for sharing the vision he had by people who didn't believe him. So on the night of September 21st, 1823, Joseph prayed once again, and this time seeking forgiveness for his shortcomings and also wanting to know where he stood in God's eyes. And again, according to his account, something extraordinary happened. According to Joseph's written account, an angel by the name of Moroni appeared to him. He addressed Joseph by name and he told him that God had a work for him to do. He also said, and this is interesting because we see it now almost 200 years later, 
uh, that his name should be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, and tongues, or that it should be both good and evil spoken among people. And so, like I said, this is interesting because it's already coming true in our world today. All over the world, especially in the United States, though, people have strong opinions on Joseph Smith. Some revere him, and some have some choice words to say about him. Uh, Moroni told Joseph about a book written on gold plates that had been hidden that contained an account of the former inhabitants of the Americas. He also said that it contained the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He told Joseph that along with the book, there were interpreters, specifically an instrument called the Yerman Thummim hidden with the plates that God had prepared for the purpose of translating the book. Moroni said that Joseph was not to retrieve the plates yet, but that when he did get them, that he couldn't show them to anyone other than to whom he was instructed to show them to, otherwise he would be destroyed. And so while Moroni was telling Joseph about the gold plates containing this account, Joseph was able to see in his mind where they were hidden. And after he had told Joseph these things, he ascended and he was gone. Naturally, Joseph couldn't really sleep that night. I wouldn't imagine anyone would be able to after an experience like that. And so he stayed up thinking about what he had been told. Uh, and as he was thinking, the same thing happened again. Moroni reappeared, repeated the same exact message. Uh, but then he added that great judgments would be coming upon the earth in this generation. And then he ascended once again. Uh, and surprisingly, jo uh, as Joseph was again pondering uh, what Moroni had said, Moroni reappeared to Joseph again a little while uh, later to repeat both things he had said before. And then he added a caution to Joseph. He told Joseph that because he and his family were poor, that Satan would try to tempt Joseph to get the gold plates in order to use them to benefit his family financially. Uh, he very strictly forbade Joseph from doing this, saying that in order to obtain the plates, he needed to do so with only the intention of glorifying God and building his kingdom on earth. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't be able to get them. And then for the third and final time, he ascended. Uh, and that was uh, his third appearance all in the same night. Understandably, Joseph didn't get a whole lot of sleep that night, and as a result, the next day he was exhausted as he was trying to uh, do all the physical labor that was required on his family's farm. Uh, and seeing that he was uh, close to exhaustion, his dad told him to go home, and on his way he passed out. Uh, when he woke up, Moroni appeared to him again. He repeated his message and then told Joseph to tell his dad what he had been commanded to do. Uh, when Joseph told his dad, Joseph Smith Sr. told his son Joseph that it was of God and that he should obey the Lord. So, uh, young Joseph left the field and went to where the angel had shown him the plates would be. The location was a large hill near the village of Manchester in Ontario uh, County, New York. On the west side of that hill, uh, close to the top, there was this really big stone under which was a stone box. Uh, after uh, trying really hard, Joseph was able to move the stone using a lever and he was able to gain access to that box. Inside were the gold plates, uh, the interpreters, and some other things. Uh, the plates were about six inches wide, eight inches long, and thin. Uh, so you can you can kind of picture the plates as like uh, basically pages of a book made out of gold. So very thin, um, but solid because they were made out of a metal. Uh, and so Joseph tried to get the plates, but uh, was shocked when he reached for them. Uh, and when I say shocked, not you know shocked emotionally, but physically shocked, like electrically shocked. Uh, and he was confused, and so Moroni appeared once again, and he forbid him. When Joseph asked why, Moroni told Joseph that he hadn't kept the Lord's commandments. Already, Joseph had gotten caught up in the excitement of finding golden plates, and he had forgotten the purpose of the plates. 
Joseph quickly calmed down and prayed, and, one, and once again he was able to focus. Uh, and so, even this first time already, Satan had tempted Joseph. Moroni reminded Joseph that the plates were sacred and that they weren't to be used for personal gain or for wealth. Uh, Joseph asked him when he would be able to get the plates, and Moroni told him that he should retrieve them uh, a year from that day, September 22nd, 1824. Uh, he also told him that when he did, he should take them into his hands, go straight to his home, and lock them up. After waiting for a year as he had been instructed, Joseph went back to the hill. He again uh, gained access to the box, but this time he was able to grab the plates. So as he lifted the plates out of the box, he realized that there might be other valuable things in the box, and he realized that he should probably hide that box again so that they wouldn't be stolen. Uh, he set the plates down, and then he covered the box, and when he went to grab the plates again, uh, they were gone. Uh, obviously, Joseph was panicking. He uh, hurriedly knelt and prayed and begged God to tell him where they were. Moroni uh, appeared again and he said, Joseph had failed to follow directions. Not only did he put the plates down without safely securing them as he had been instructed, he had let them out of his sight. And so, despite the young Joseph's willingness to, uh, you know, hang on to the plates and, and, and to, to protect them, he just was not ready to be trusted with. Uh, protecting the sacred record that was written on the plates. Uh, Joseph was rebuked, and then Moroni proceeded to teach Joseph a little more about God's plan for his kingdom on earth and the work that would begin with Joseph. Uh, he then told Joseph to return again one year from that day, and so Joseph returned home once again empty-handed. So here, it's really important to note uh, that Joseph Smith was not in any way, shape, or form perfect. Uh, God didn't just uh, give him all the knowledge that he would need right away. Uh, Joseph made plenty of mistakes, uh, some of which we'll discuss more a little later, uh, and he was very human. Uh, two times so far, Heavenly Father had given him a chance to retrieve the plates, and twice he had failed to do so. Uh, so there isn't any detailed record of what happened during the September of 1825 when Joseph was supposed to return to the hill. Um, but we can assume that once again he failed to retrieve the plates. Uh, after that, Joseph continued to work hard to earn money, having developed uh, a little bit of skill using that seer stone that we talked about that he had found before. Uh, people learned about his talent. Uh, one, of this, one of these people that learned about his talent uh, hired Joseph to help him find treasure, and so he moved to Har uh, Harmony, Pennsylvania, hoping that this talent would help him. Uh, well, long story short, it didn't, and so after some time, the failed venture ceased. Uh, however, during that time, Joseph had fallen in love with a woman by the name of Emma Hale. Uh, he continued to see Emma and court her over the next couple of years. Uh, in September of 1826, when Joseph returned to the hill near Manchester, Moroni told him once again that he was not ready to obtain the plates. Uh, he told Joseph very frankly to quit searching for treasure, uh, to stop associating with those that did, uh, stating that there were some wicked men among them. Uh, Moroni told him that he had one more year uh, to align his desires with God's or else he would never be entrusted with the plates. Uh, the following January, uh, Joseph married Emma when he was 21 and she was 22 on January 18, 1827. They moved back to Manchester together. Uh, as September of 1827 approached, uh, a lot of people waited in anticipation for the day when Joseph would retrieve the gold plates. Uh, remember, Joseph's been talking about his vision since he was 14, um, and obviously uh, plenty of people have heard about the gold plates at this point. Um, and so a lot of people wanted those gold plates for themselves. Remember, this is a, a, a community where there's not a whole lot of wealthy people. It's mostly farming. 
and so the promise of gold plates is, uh, you know, understandably very tempting uh, financially. And so uh, this time, Joseph did manage to retrieve the plates, uh, but he was attacked as he returned home with them. Uh, luckily, he uh, was able to escape and uh, he was able to keep the plates on his person. Um, and uh, at this point, Joseph knew that it would only get worse from there uh, and that he had the responsibility to protect the plates. Uh, the angel Moroni promised Joseph that if he did everything that he could, then the plates would remain safe. Um, again, like I said, a lot of attempts were made to steal the plates from Joseph, uh, but by moving the plates constantly from hiding place to hiding place, uh, he never took any chances, and as Moroni promised, none of those attempts to steal the plates succeeded. As Joseph studied the plates, uh, a respected man by the name of Martin Harris in the area became interested in his work uh, with those plates. Joseph had worked on his land before and so they were uh, reasonably well acquainted and Martin inquired about the plates and so Joseph told him uh, what he was doing and Moroni had instructed him to translate the record and publish that translation. Martin wasn't sure exactly what to believe, uh, but after praying to the Lord, he did receive spiritual confirmation that Joseph was telling the truth, and he determined that he would uh, do everything that he could in order to help Joseph. Uh, Joseph and Emma moved to Harmony, uh, Pennsylvania, to live with her parents uh, because she was uh, getting ready to have their first kid. Uh, so what's interesting to note is that Joseph wasn't sure how to go about translating the plates. Remember, he doesn't have a whole lot of education uh, in the English language, so he's not exactly sure how to... Uh, go about translating uh, a foreign one. And so uh, Joseph, he started by copying the characters uh, from the plates onto paper, and then he would translate them using the Urim and Thummim. It was slow going as Joseph had to exercise faith in the Lord and remain humble in order to use uh, the Urim and Thummim to translate. Uh, a few months later, Martin Harris came to Harmony saying he felt called by the Lord to consult experts in ancient languages on Joseph's translation. Uh, I would imagine that Joseph, nervous about translating things wrong, uh, was ready to, uh, not, not that he had any doubt in, in the Lord, of course, but in his own abilities. Uh, Joseph, uh, wanting a little bit of confirmation, gave Martin some of the characters uh, that he had translated already uh, to bring with him to New York City. Uh, in New York, uh, Martin met with two professors, both affirmed that they seemed legitimate. Uh, one of them, Professor Charles Anthon, gave Martin a certificate verifying uh, the authenticity of the characters. But as Martin was leaving, Anthon asked Martin where the characters had come from. Uh, and after hearing uh, about some boy named Joseph Smith and hearing about angels, he promptly tore up that certificate and told Martin that there was no such thing as angels and that if he did want those characters translated, then Joseph would need to bring them to Columbia and let a scholar translate them. Martin returned to Harmony heartened and convinced that Joseph did indeed have ancient golden plates uh, and the power to translate them. Martin told Joseph about his meetings and informed Joseph that he himself would need to translate the records. Uh, Emma often acted as scribe and uh, she marveled that Joseph's lack of knowledge in history and scripture didn't hinder the translation at all. After all, uh, according to Emma, Joseph said that he could barely write a coherent letter. Um, as her pregnancy approached, Emma needed to rest. Martin Harris came to Harmony and acted as a scribe for Joseph. Uh, it's important to note that Joseph uh, translated the gold plates by the gift and power of God. Those are his words. Uh, Joseph didn't just hold the interpreters directly over the plates the entire time uh, and, and individually translate uh, one by one the characters that he saw through the interpreters. 
Uh, rather, according to the accounts given by Joseph Scribes, he would either look uh, into the Urim and Thummim or the seer stone that he had found earlier on his, in his life uh, and that he had learned to use. Again, we see the value of that talent that he had developed. Uh, and he would see the characters appear in the stone and he would uh, recite the translation to the scribes. Uh, sometimes uh, he had the plates in front of him, sometimes with a blanket covering them. Uh, and I'm sure everybody's heard of it. There's a popular show called South Park uh, that features Joseph Smith translating the plates by looking into his hat. Uh, this may seem uh, ridiculous, um, but that's how he often did it. And it was easier to see the translations in the seer stone he used by putting it in his hat to block out the light and then reading it and reciting the translation to his scribe. Uh, so just so you can kind of get a, a grip on why he would do this, uh, it's kind of like when you can't see your phone very well uh, and it's super sunny outside. So you have to cover the screen in order to see everything on, on it. Uh, same kind of general concept. And so Emma recorded that she was amazed that despite taking breaks and after long interruptions, Joseph always picked up exactly where he left off without any prompting. Uh, so Joseph continued to translate with Martin as his scribe, and after a while, uh, Martin's wife uh, started to get skeptical and bitter about Martin's involvement. Uh, in a marriage, I'm sure you can imagine that this would cause a lot of stress on a relationship, and so Martin wanted to convince her that what he was doing was worthwhile and that it was actually what Joseph said it was, that they were uh, translations of gold plates. Uh, so he asked Joseph if he could take the translation manuscript and show her. Joseph was grateful for Martin's help, uh, of course, but we, he was super nervous about letting him take that manuscript all the way to Palmyra. Uh, at Martin's insistence, though, Joseph prayed to God to see if, he would, if, if it would be okay to let Martin take the manuscript to Palmyra to show his wife. Uh, and Joseph uh, prayed. Uh, the Lord said no. Uh, but at Martin's insistence, Joseph uh, prayed again, and the Lord again said no. It was not a good idea. Uh, but Martin's... Uh, persistence uh you know it made joseph feel uh that he needed to pray a third time um and so he asked again uh and the lord uh, this time agreed but with the strict instructions that he only show them to his wife and select people that the lord said that he could um after his departure moroni uh took the translators from joseph uh martin didn't follow the instructions um long story short he showed them to many people uh and as he was showing them off uh they the manuscript was stolen um joseph was distraught when he found out of course joseph had just failed to protect the manuscript he had ignored god's will twice and asked three times and now the lord no longer trusted him uh and so in the summer of 1828 moroni appeared to joseph again and he took the gold plates away from him informing him that he that if he did sincerely repent uh, that he would receive the plates again on September 22nd. Uh, once again, uh, we see that Joseph was far from perfect. Uh, he was extremely human, and this is again evidence of the Lord teaching Joseph little by little. Uh, and gradually Joseph was learning and he was becoming the prophet that the Lord needed him to be. Uh, after having been severely chastised by the Lord and having sincerely repented, uh, Joseph was again entrusted with the plates, and, he, and this time he needed another scribe. Uh, in the fall of 1828, a young man by the name of Oliver Cowdery stayed with Joseph's parents in Manchester, uh, where he uh, began teaching at a school close by. Uh, through Joseph's family, 
uh, he learned of the work that Joseph was doing, and after receiving confirmation from the Lord through prayer uh, that it was, in fact, um, a legitimate venture, uh, Oliver left for Harmony uh, to find Joseph. Joseph readily accepted the help. Uh, Joseph and Oliver uh, worked really hard on the translation. They worked constantly, as much as their uh, other obligations would allow them. Um, and following direction from the Lord, Joseph didn't try to retranslate uh, the manuscript that had been lost. Uh, the Lord revealed uh, to him that evil men uh, that had been tempted by Satan had uh, to steal the pages, that if Joseph were to retranslate that portion, that they were going to alter the words that they had on the original manuscript and then uh, submit that as evidence that uh, because they didn't match up, that Joseph had made everything up and that he hadn't been able to reproduce the exact same translation. Uh, and that would that would effectively cast doubt on the whole translation and uh, discredit Joseph. So instead of allowing that to happen, the Lord had instructed the prophets of old who had compiled the plates uh, hundreds of, of years before that, uh, thousands in fact, uh, to make an additional record with a fuller account knowing that this was going to happen. Uh, so uh, this time, uh, Joseph was instructed to... Uh, <clears throat> to translate that other record um, so during this time uh, Joseph was also instructed in regards to baptism after translating a part of the Book of Mormon that talked about baptism uh, in May 1829 Joseph and Oliver inquired of the Lord uh, to, to find out how exactly to perform a baptism uh, they received instruction and the authority to baptize was given to them when John the Baptist, who is now an angel, conferred on them the Aaronic priesthood, uh, the authority uh, to baptize. Uh, Joseph and Oliver baptized each other and were the first to do so in this dispensation. Uh, shortly thereafter, the apostles Peter, James, and John restored the Melchizedek priesthood to the earth by conferring it on Joseph Smith and uh, Oliver Cowdery. Joseph now held uh, the authority and the keys to act in the name of God. Uh, like I said, Joseph and Oliver both had other obligations, and so they worked on the record as often as they could. Uh, things were further complicated as the people in harmony became less and less friendly to Joseph's presence, and some even threatened him. Uh, another man, uh, inspired by God and the news he had received from his friend, Oliver Cowdery, uh, David Whitmer, uh, this man invited Joseph Smith to come to his home in uh, Fayette to finish the work. Uh, David had been conversing with Oliver Cowdery uh, by letter, and so had been hearing about you know these fantastical stories about Joseph Smith and the translation process, and he really wanted to become involved. Uh, hence, his invitation to uh, invite Joseph. And so, uh, this is where Joseph finished the translation, uh, and he. When he did translate that final plate, he discovered uh, the plate's purpose and the title, the Book of Mormon. Uh, it was named after the ancient prophet historian, uh, Mormon, who had compiled the book, and it was another testament of Jesus Christ. Uh, Joseph, uh, as a person and, and in his uh, new role as a future prophet, he learned a lot from translating the Book of Mormon. He learned the doctrines contained in the record itself, uh, and he also uh, was learned how to enjoy the companionship of the Spirit of God, uh, how baptism was to be performed, uh, but also a lot about his role as a prophet. And so he learned about this future role uh, and began sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
uh, God allowed three witnesses to see the gold plates. Uh, Martin Harris, uh, if you remember, he was the one who had originally supported Joseph Smith uh, and then lost the manuscript. David Whitmer, who had opened his home up to Joseph. Uh, and then Oliver Cowdery, of course, who had acted as his main scribe. Uh, their testimony is included in each Book of Mormon uh, as preceding the first chapter. Uh, God then allowed eight others to see the plates as well. Uh, there was Hiram and Samuel Smith, Joseph's brothers. There was Christian, Jacob, Peter Jr., and John of the Whitmer family. Um, and then their brother-in-law, Hiram Page. Uh, their testimony of this event is also included in each copy of the Book of Mormon. Uh, even though many of these men had a falling out with Joseph Smith uh, and or the church later on, not one of these men ever denied the testimony they had given regarded, regarding seeing the gold plates. Uh, so having finished the translation and having witnesses to support its authenticity, Joseph no longer needed the gold plates. So the angel Moroni uh, collected them from him shortly after the witnesses had seen them and relieved Joseph of the responsibility of protecting them. In July 1829, Joseph knew that since he had finished the translation of the Book of Mormon that he needed to publish it. And so with the help of Martin Harris, Joseph was able to finance the publishing of the Book of Mormon. In order to help, Martin mortgaged his farm and sacrificed uh, in order to put the work of the Lord first. Uh, and so it took the printer, Egbert Grandin, and his team of a dozen men seven months to print the first 5,000 copies of the Book of Mormon. Uh, like I said before, people during this time were still fervently seeking truth. Um, and so many were not content with the churches that they saw around them. Uh, and so they felt that there had to be something more. There had to be a better option. A lot like Joseph uh, when he asked uh, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ uh, which church to join. Uh, people such as this were Thomas Marsh and his wife Elizabeth, uh, Solomon Chamberlain, and many others. Uh, a word, as word spread about the printing of the Book of Mormon, people began to find the answers that they had been looking for. Uh, Joseph, having received the Melchizedek and Aaronic priesthoods, and so having authority to baptize and confer the gift of the Holy Ghost, as they had done in times of old, met with Oliver and around 45 others in the Whitmer home to organize the church. Six people had volunteered and been chosen to become the first members. Um, at this meeting, Joseph and Oliver were, were sustained or given a, a supporting vote as leaders in the kingdom of God. And so Joseph ordained Oliver Cowdery an elder, and then uh, and that's just uh, an offer office in the priesthood. Um, and then Oliver ordained Joseph as an elder in accordance with the instructions from the Lord. Uh, all this occurred on April 6, 1830. This was the official organization of the church. Uh, Joseph had fulfilled this first series of commandments. Uh, he first translated and then published the Book of Mormon. Uh, and then he also established Christ Church on the earth once more. Thank you.